This is the Collaboration Dynamics Podcast, helping you work together better with Judy Reese, X-ray listener, best-selling author, international virtual collaboration trainer, and master of metaphor. Hear more at xraylistening.com. Hello and welcome to the Collaboration Dynamics Podcast. I'm Judy Reese, and with me today is David Horowitz. Hello, David. Would you like to introduce yourself and what you're up to? Absolutely. Thanks, Judy, so much for having me on this podcast. It's a real pleasure to be talking to you and everyone who's listening today. Uh, So, as Judy said, my name is David Horowitz. I am the CEO and co-founder of a company called Retrium, and we make software that enables teams to run effective retrospectives. In essence, if you're not in the agile software development world, it's a methodology by which teams can achieve continuous improvement. It's an introspective meeting, and we make software that makes them more effective. My background, just in 30 seconds, is I'm what I like to call a, in quotes, recovering software developer. And I say that because I was, as a programmer and as a tech lead, working with software developers and actually doing coding for many, many years, but quickly discovered that my real value add was not so much in the technical aspects of coding, but in the people aspects of coding. And so I kind of shifted gears a bit and uh, focused more on how can teams try to perform at a higher level. And that's in a nutshell how we came up with Retrium and where I am today. Mm. Oh, there's so much in what you just said. I, I want to follow that uh, metaphor of a recovering <laughs> software developer. Sure. Um, what kind of collaborations do you get involved in? Yeah, so it's changed over time, going back to the, the shift in my life professionally also. So I used to work for a, a big bureaucracy, I'll, I'll leave it nameless here, uh, that was a big international bank that was trying to shift away from a traditional style of software development called waterfall, very top-down, very upfront planning heavy, towards a more agile, more flexible model of software development. And the problem in that organization was that while there was a directive from the top to become more agile and more flexible, the culture of the institution was quite the opposite. And so the collaboration there was, I should actually change the word collaboration to maybe lack of collaboration, because it was so hard to work together, since the rewards and the incentives in place were really to protect your turf. Mm -hmm even though the information coming from the top and the direction coming from the top was, hey, respond to change, work together, and there was a disconnect there. So it was really a lack of collaboration that I'm coming from, and the company that I founded, Retrium, is focused on fixing that problem. So I'm working in a team of two today, and we're distributed, so we don't have an office, Mm -hmm. and yet despite the fact that we don't see each other face-to-face, we are highly collaborative and at the same time, highly autonomous. And so I'd love to touch on how those interplay together a bit during the course of the podcast. Mm -hmm. So highly collaborative and also highly autonomous. Yes. And just to get a sense of the thing, whereabouts are you and whereabouts is your colleague? Geographically? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yes. So I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, and I have you know, a house and a family, and so I'm very settled here. And my co-founder is quite the opposite. So he is a single guy, and he goes wherever he wants to go. So sometimes he works from the beach. Sometimes he goes to his family's farm. Uh, he's planning on going to Mexico later this year. So uh, it just depends, and that's very liberating for him. And it works well for both of us because we're happy with where we are in our lives and don't have to move to a particular city to work together. Hmm, interesting. So he's one of these digital nomads. Digital nomad, yeah. The up-and-coming digital nomad movement, yes. <laughs> and, and you sound like you're more like me. I, I'm, I'm a digital stay-at-home. <laughs> one of the Very great, much, things, yeah. great things about virtu virtual working for me is I mean, it means I don't have to travel. Yeah, absolutely. I love traveling from time to time, but I have two little ones, so travel is kind of limited these days, and that's fine. My life is digital, so I can be at home and still be digital. Mm -hmm. So you and your colleague are both highly collaborative and highly autonomous. Mm -hmm. So when you are highly collaborative and highly autonomous like that, when you and your colleague are collaborating at your very best... You personally are like what? I love this question. You're putting me on my, my toes here, Judy. So I think the best way of describing what I'm like is to think of a high-functioning, highly-performing basketball team. Mm -hmm. So let's go to the sports world here. I know that people like the sports analogies, and I'm going to go in that direction because I think it is true. So when you think of what a good basketball team looks like, there's a lot of instincts that the team has, both at a team level and also at an individual level, that without speaking, without any sort of direction coming from the coach, the team just has. And together with that, you have good relationships on the team, and you have a vision. Right? So if you're playing offense, it's to score a basket. If you're playing defense, it's to stop the other team from scoring. And it's the combination of these collaborative instincts that everyone just seems to have. They know where the next player is going to go, where the path should be. And that in combination with the good relationships and the vision, everyone knowing what the goal is, creates the best sort of setup for a collaborative team to function within. Mm -hmm. and so when I'm collaborating at my best with my co-founder, it's because we know exactly what we're going to try to achieve that day, that week, that month, and even the next year or two without having to talk about it because we just know. We've been working that long together. And correspondingly, when we have good relationship together, that helps us be on the same page and support the other person when something goes wrong or perhaps when something comes up in their personal life that's taking them away from the business. So it's very similar to that highly functioning basketball team. That's a highly functioning team in my life too and therefore when I'm best, when I'm collaborating. Mm -hmm. and, and very different, Judy, by the way, from how it was before when I was working for this big bank uh, because that was quite the opposite. We were not highly functioning and not collaborative whatsoever. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But just to explore that basketball team just a little more, it's a highly functioning basketball team. And that basketball team, when it's a basketball team like that, whereabouts are you? Yeah, so I like to consider myself in many ways, I think, the point guard. Mm -hmm. But 
not the scoring oriented point guard, more mm-hmm. of a pass first point guard. So for those who are listening who are not into sports, not into basketball, there's two types of point guards. The, mm-hmm. This is the person who has the ball, who leads the team. A scoring first point guard is someone whose goal it is most of the time to try to score the points for the team that makes the team win. Mm-hmm. Whereas a pass first point guard is somebody who is more distributing the basketball to others and trying to make the other people on his team score the baskets and put them in the best situations so that they can achieve the goal, which is to score points. Mm-hmm. So there's two different types of point guards. Neither one is better than the other. They're both very good. They're both fine, depending on the goal of the team. But I like to think of myself as the latter, more mm-hmm. of a pass-first point guard, where, okay, we have a vision, we know, we know what we're trying to achieve, and how can we put the other people on the team in the best spots to enable them to achieve their potential and reach their goal? Mm-hmm. And just to so check that's where that I like to think of myself. Just to check that I'm hearing this correctly, because I'm amongst the people who know nothing about basketball, um, it's a pass-first point mm-hmm. guard. Yeah, so someone someone who yeah. passes first. Exactly, rather, rather than, than tries to score first. To score. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I see. They they have a similar notion in netball, I believe, but it's on a very different level, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you are a pass first point guard like that, is there anything else about how that works? In terms of the how we enable collaboration. Mm. Yeah, so that I mean that to me if you're a pass first point guard, then your goal is to not take the credit yourself mm-hmm. when things go well, but instead to ensure that your teammates are the ones who are the people actually achieving the goal in the end and your job is just to put them in the position that they can most likely be able to achieve those goals. So in in my life professionally as well as my life personally, what I try to do, and just like the best of us, we fail from time to time, of course, many times we fail, but what I try to do is make sure that I am doing what I can do to the best of my ability, but not doing more than I have to do to get the job done. Mm-hmm. In other words, I only want to do what others can't do or perhaps aren't as good at doing as I am. The rest, I want to make sure that I am enabling others to perform to their best of their ability uh, such that they can get the credit for all of the things that are going right with the company or in your personal life that I think you can think of it the same way as well. Collaboration doesn't stop when you leave the office, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's how I like to think about life. It's how I like to think about my professional world. And in many ways, professional and personal are very much tied together anyhow. Uh, So, you know, don't be one person at work and someone else at home. Mm -hmm. So when you're like that and your job is to put people in a position like that, is there anything else about how that, well, what, what kind of position is a kind of position where they're in a position to do their best work? Right. So we have two people in the company right now. And my job is much more the customer focused uh, type of job where I'm talking to our customers, potential customers all day long, making sure that they see the value in retrospectives and making sure that they're getting the value after they've run retrospectives to achieve the continuous improvement that we're targeting. So I'm very much on the customer focus side. But remember, I'm a recovering software developer. So I have technical skill sets. I can code. My partner 
is, however, the lead on the coding side. He's the guy who actually builds the software that the company is based on. So you can imagine a situation where if I was a shoot-first point guard, someone who tries to score the points rather than mm -hmm. a pass-first point guard, where I could be stepping on his toes pretty easily, right? Because if I'm trying to solve some technical issue, fix a bug that we have in Retrium, I, as a recovering software developer, probably could do it. Not as well as my co-founder can, but I could probably do it. Mm -hmm. And if I wanted to get the credit, if I wanted to make sure that I'm the person who fixes everything for the company, I'm the hero, then I would try to fix that before I gave my co-founder an opportunity to fix the problem or to add a feature. So instead, if you take a step back and say, these are our roles, right? I'm the person who's talking to the customers, who's doing the marketing and the sales, making sure that customers achieve the success we're, intended, we're intending for them to achieve. And my co-founder is the one who's doing the coding, despite the fact that I could also do that. Um, then we have these roles that we understand going into our relationship together. And we try our best to make sure we don't step on the other person's toes and to make sure that the other person is feeling like they are achieving their goals and are in a place where they can best achieve their goals as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And you were saying that that's... Um very unlike how it was back in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> Could say that 10 times in a row and not get bored of saying it. Yeah. Um, so the, the setup there was very different. So we had people all over the world who were trying to work together. So similar to us, it was a distributed setup. But there was very much a sense that it's us against them. That it's the people who are in Washington, D.C. working together are a team. And then the people working in India are a team, and the people in Europe are a team. Even though we're all really one big team working on one project, there was no sense of we're in this together at all. Mm -hmm. So when things went wrong, rather than trying to collectively figure out what we can do to improve the process or improve our relationships, we immediately went to the blame game. Mm -hmm. And, oh, what a terrible, terrible work environment that was. <laughs> so when I, I tried as a quasi-agile coach there, as someone who is helping improve process, to implement a regular pattern of running these retrospectives, right? trying to, to improve the process in a structured way. But the, re the retrospectives ended up going down this cliff and this hill of immediate blame rather mm -hmm. than constructive comments and constructive criticisms. And so that didn't help either. And it made me think, hey, you know, if this company has this problem, how many others have this problem too? And that's how Retrium started, right? It was a personal pain point that I had on my last job that I want to fix, not just for myself, but also for everyone else struggling with that type of work setup as well. Mm -hmm. And so you had a team in DC, a team in Europe and a team in India and a disconnect between yeah. those teams. And when you try to do a retrospective, you went straight down that cliff mm. of immediate blame. Is there anything else about how the disconnect worked between the teams? What kind of disconnect was it? Disconnect didn't work, possibly. Everything yeah. was, uh, mm. didn't work. Um, so there was a couple things. So on the one hand, there's time zone issues. Right? That's mm -hmm. something you can't overcome. Time mm -hmm. zone issues are time zone issues. But you can, given that you know that will be a problem if that's your work setup. There are things you can do to try to make those problems less severe. Mm 
So, for example, rather than always running a meeting at nine in the morning Washington D.C. time, forcing people in India to have to work very late at night every single night, you could possibly try to share the pain where、mm -hmm. you alternate weeks. And so, on for one week, the people in D.C. have to wake up early or stay up late, and then the next week, the people in India have to do the same. And that way, you build trust. You build the sense that. We're in this together, and no one party has to be the one suffering all the time. So there's the time zone issues. There's also, of course, the cultural issues that people here in D.C. were, I think, and I'm being very careful with my words here, but I think the what we felt like was that we were running the project,、mm -hmm. and the people in both Europe and India were the ones who had to implement the project. And that, to me, is a distinction that actually should never exist in a team.、Mm -hmm. That a team is quite simply a team, and therefore there should be collective and collaborative responsibility for everything, from setting the vision to gathering the requirements to actually implementing it to testing it to going out and getting feedback. Everyone's in it together. The moment that you start to say we do this, you do that. And there's no sense of I can help you when the time comes, if the time comes. Then it's so easy to jump off that cliff, not walk down the cliff of blame.、Mm -hmm. And that was the situation we were in. It was we do the vision, they do the implementation. When things go wrong, that's their fault. Well, maybe we should have looked at ourselves、mm. and said we set the vision wrong, or maybe we weren't clear enough. But that never happened there. That's so interesting. Just listening to the two metaphors.、Um... And comparing and contrasting. So, in the bank, you've got this、um, DC running the project, Europe and India implementing the project, and somebody could be listening to this and saying, "Well, that sounds pretty much like being the pass-first point guard and just passing the ball to Europe and India to do the scoring." And yet, clearly, it's quite different. Yeah, very different. So. Look, you can be a pass-first point guard who dribbles the ball down the court, and then does nothing else but pass the ball and say you score,、mm -hmm. and then goes in at extreme goes and sits down. Yeah, that's very different from a pass-first point guard who dribbles the ball down the court, calls out a play to get everyone on the same page, and then is actively involved in the success of the play, meaning scoring the basket. Both are pass-first, but only the latter one is collaborative. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is the big difference between the setup I was in before and the setup I'm in now. That before we were pass first, and then okay, if it doesn't work, that's your fault, and I'm going to sit down and blame you. And now we're in a setup where we're pass first, and I want to help you achieve your goals, and I will do anything in my power to do that.、Mm -hmm. It's a very different style of pass first.、Mm. So, is there anything?、Uh, how does that? Because I don't know basketball at all, I'm trying to imagine what calls out a play means. But why don't I ask you instead? What does that mean? You call out a play. So typically, in any sports team, but also basketball, of course, there are certain set plays that the team has, where they practice them ahead of time, and they know that you know if you're the the big center, the tall guy, then you have to go to this side of the court and set a pick to enable another person on the team to. Run across the court and get a pass, for example. I mean, I'm just at very、mm -hmm. high level going through a, a possibility here. So you call out a play 
and everyone and maybe it's a number right so mm-hmm. play number two and only the people on your team know what play number two is but because they've practiced it together they know what to do and where to be but it's not just calling out the play to a certain extent that's setting a vision right that's mm-hmm. the, the corollary there but it's not just just setting a play teams that are really really good so let me back up i mean all teams have plays even the bad ones right yeah so so it's not the case that that's some secret that I've just revealed. Of course, everybody knows in basketball there are plays and teams practice them. So it's not just that. There's also this sense of, in a good, highly functioning basketball team, a sense of, I know what you're going to do next, even if it's not predefined in that play. I know Mm -hmm. where you're going to move on the court because we've been playing together for so long and we have such a good relationship together that instinctually I know what's going to happen next. That is something that is the result of establishing good relationships, establishing trust, and also understanding that we are going to work together to put each other in the best position possible to succeed. Mm -hmm. And it takes time to achieve that on the basketball court, and it takes time to achieve that in your professional life as well. You don't just immediately have trust with somebody, but over time, you get a sense of what they're good at, what they're not good at, what they're going to do next, even if you haven't talked about it ahead of time. So in many ways, that extends the, the analogy here, that you can be a pass-first point guard, call out a play. If that play is not working, then you kind of know what your teammates are going to do next anyway to make sure that this trip down the court is actually going to succeed. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's particularly interesting for me, of course, because one of the things I do with virtual teams is help them to get to know each other better, understand each other's ways of working and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So speeding up that process of getting the, the basketball team to know instinctually how, how each other works. Mm-hmm. Um, so that strikes me as very interesting. Um, and when all that happens and and it's a high functioning basketball team and and um you're calling out the plays and then doing everything in your power to help them achieve the results then what happens to that cliff of the blame game look if you have good relationships and things don't go well that's okay i mean it's not okay that you failed right you don't want to fail but at the same time your relationships won't suffer if you go into a setup, whether it's on the basketball court or in your professional life, with the assumption that what you and your teammates have done is to the best of their ability. If that's the assumption, then when you fail, you know you've done the best you can do. So in retrospectives, there's something called the retrospective prime directive, Mm -hmm. which I love. I love this so much. And I wish more teams used the prime directive, even not for retrospectives, just as an assumption going into you as a team. And the prime directive says, and I'll quote it, regardless of what we discover, we understand and truly believe that everyone did the best job they could, given what they knew at the time, their skills and abilities, the resources available, and the situation at hand. I love that as a prime directive. We use it in our teams uh, or suggest to the teams that are our clients uh, to use that all the time because when you enter a retrospective and you're trying to figure out what can we do better next time, presumably because there's something that didn't work in the past, if you go into that meeting with the assumption that everyone did the best they could do, given what they knew, their skills and their abilities and the resources, 
then it's almost impossible to have a blame game mm -hmm. because of the assumptions you made going into that meeting. So one of the things that I like to recommend to teams is that, hey, don't just say it once and then move on. At the beginning of whether it's you know, the beginning of a project or the beginning of the retrospective meeting itself, have people actually sign their name underneath that quote. There's something about signing your name that makes you feel more committed to it. And people hesitate to sign if they don't really believe it. So whereas if you just say, hey, everyone, let repeat after me, uh, people will just go through the motion. There's mm -hmm. something, something about signing your name that seems to, to change how people think about this. And that seems to get teams to a point where they can start to improve their relationships and start to improve the trust that they have in each other so that these meetings can be more productive and actually help achieve the continuous improvement that we're all after in the first place. Mm, that is a very inspiring idea. And uh, presumably, if people want to find that, they just uh, Google for retrospective prime directive. Absolutely. It'll come up. It's also, if you go to retrospectives.com, mm -hmm. um, there's a link there for the prime directive. Mm -hmm. Lovely. I mean, lots of people listening to this will not be involved in agile software development. So there are some brilliant ideas here that could be applied in all sorts of different situations. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite things about the agile movement. I mean, there's a lot of teams that try to implement agile and fail miserably. And there's a lot of teams that try to f implement agile and do a great job. But in either case, you don't have to be a software team to try to implement the agile best practices. It came out of the software movement. It's not limited to software teams whatsoever. The retrospective and all other meetings in, in, in Agile and all other parts of the methodology, but the retrospective in particular, is really just aimed at how can we get better at what we do? And how can we do that in a iterative and incremental and as quick as possible of a fashion? So it's really applicable to teams doing anything anywhere. Um, and I highly recommend when I talk to non-software teams uh, to at least look at the principles behind the Agile movement to make sure that they understand what they are and if they apply to the team, then to learn a bit more about it. Um, because it's not just software. It's really not. Mm. And of course, the idea of a retrospective, a project review, is already applied very widely outside of the software mm -hmm. development movement, and presumably Retrium could be so applied. Absolutely, yeah. We're starting with the software development market simply because we're, you know, we know that market very well, and the Agile methodology is something that a lot of teams are trying to pick up, and so retrospectives are a big thing, so it's a natural fit for us. But ultimately, what we're building is a meeting facilitation tool. The goal of the tool is to keep people engaged in the meeting and feel that they have a voice in the meeting, mm -hmm. even if they are not extroverted, even if they're a junior member on the team. We want to make sure that everyone democratically is able to contribute their best ideas and then vote also on the ideas that resonate the most with them in an anonymous way. So the goal of Retrium is to keep people engaged, bring out the best ideas from everyone in the meeting so that you can have a discussion that leads to true actions and true improvement. And that's a good goal for any team anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I can, having seen the Retrium tool, I can see that it really it applies some of the ideas that I've uh, that I teach teams to use when I'm talking about communication where you know there is lots of visual there's lots of opportunity to, for people to write rather than speak which can help people who aren't aren't working in their native language and all these kind of things mm -hmm. um, so it, yeah a lovely lovely gadget <laughs> no, thank you very much <laughs> Um, so if people want to contact you, find out more about Retrium and how they might be able to, to use it, where can they find you? 
Well, first, the obvious place, retrium.com. It's R-E-T-R-I-U-M.com. I am happy to share my email address. It's david, D-A-V-I-D, at retrium.com. And then lastly, I'm on Twitter, and that's ds underscore horowitz, H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z. And feel free to tweet to me on Twitter, send me an email, or just come to the website. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Judy. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it.